Hey friends, welcome back to the Way of the Master podcast. I'm Tom Johnston, glad you could join us. We're going to continue talking about the Jesus Way, and uh, today I'm going to start a series uh, called Mentoring in the Jesus Way. This will be an introduction, so, so we'll call this part one. And so, you know, mentoring uh, is key to what Jesus did, and there's a lot of discussion about that in culture today, in business, in the church. And so I want to kind of present something to you from uh, what I see in the New Testament. And, you know, last time we talked about Jesus creating his own Beit Midrash, his mentoring cohort. And that was uh, really an essential part of how he passed on, you know, what, did he, wa- what he wanted to people, people to know about loving God and loving others. And so we're going to unpack that a little bit more here and start to really drill down into what he did. So, you know, really what, what my whole thing is about is understanding Jesus's rabbinic mentoring process and its application to what we do today, uh, you know, modern pastoral ministry. I think a lot of what we've inherited as uh, pastors and leaders is cultural as opposed to biblical. And so I've kind of spent my life figuring out uh, how to make cultural real-time application to stuff that was inherently biblical and kind of, you know, bust out of the confines of uh, the cultural stuff that's been put on us in the Western church. Now, not everything of that is bad. It has meaning. But as culture changes, things that are tied to culture uh, lose their... Uh, their effectiveness. And so as we think about how do we become more effective and fruitful in our day and in any generation, we have to really kind of go back to the basics of the scripture. As my friend Mike Perkinson and I have said for a long time, we are by God's grace uh, in the process on, you know, in a, on a journey of radical rediscovery, of rediscovering the truth of the New Testament scriptures. Now, we all believe the New Testament's true, but we don't really all understand what that means, and we don't really understand how it applies to life and ministry in our day. So that's part of the process of rediscovery. So, you know, I talk about the Jesus way. Mike and I kind of coined this phrase uh, 17, 18 years ago when we were talking about how Jesus did what he did, but also the Jesus way is the way of life that Christ has called us to. So it's both things, how Jesus did what he did uh, in his earth walk, in his uh, earthly ministry with his disciples, and then the way of life that he was calling us all to, uh, that he lived out with them. So it's two things, how he did what he did and the way of life he's called us to. And I think that his mission requires his method. Uh, So often we try to figure out, you know, how to do something that furthers mission. And really, I think if we embrace what he did uh, and and live a life led of the Spirit, full of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit, and in the context of relationships, mentor other people in his way, I think it works. In fact, for the past 30 plus years, that's what I've been doing. And it works. Uh, you know, Jesus engaged his disciples in a purposeful mentoring process. And we talked about that last time when we were talking about Bedha Midrash. So like the Pharisees and the other stages of his day, he first intentionally calls them into a radical commitment uh, to a rabbi-disciple mentoring relationship. So he says this, he says, come and follow me. 
And we, we see this in Matthew 4, in verse, starting verse 8, one of the classic examples. It says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called to them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. So this is a pretty big deal. So this is not just them kind of like, hey, there's this guy, he wants to have some time with us, but really, he's calling them into a rabbi-disciple relationship, and they, they knew that. And so it was worth it to them to leave behind what they knew and to embrace this new opportunity of becoming apprentice rabbis. And so it's very intentional what he does. It's, it's not passive. It's, it's very active. And so he calls his disciples to himself into an intentional mentoring or apprentice relationship and with them creates that learning community environment we talked about called Beit HaMidrash. So he's got this cadre of 84 disciples, uh, 12 he calls apostles, three Peter, James, and John seem to get most of the focus. And so he creates this cadre uh, in an intentional uh, mentoring apprenticeship model. And, you know, I consider the mentoring that Jesus did to be kind of a macro skill. In other words, uh, an all-encompassing skill. And so it's, it's a macro skill which has within it a lot of micro competencies, so little micro skills, uh, super important things, but, but, you know, all part of the larger thing that we call mentoring. And so in the next number of broadcasts, I'm going to start to break that down for you. Well, so what is mentoring? Well, the term mentor originated in the Odyssey. Uh, mentor was a man, and he was a trusted friend of Odysseus, who was charged with the care of his uh, Odysseus's household, including the care and development of his young son Telemachus, while he was away on his epic adventure. And so this is kind of the first um, uh, place that we hear this term, and it's become synonymous with someone who uh, helps others in their development and, and, uh, and, and their, their growth. So from Homer forward in Western literature, we have lots of images of the mentor-apprentice relationship. And it's always where there's a wise elder becoming the guide for the developmental journey of the younger leader-to-be, or very often it's called the eternal hero. So it's, it's always this incarnation of a hero who's going to take it on to the next generation. So the story isn't necessarily about the mentor, but it's about the one they're mentoring. And you see this pattern repeated in the Arthurian legends with Merlin and Arthur. You see it in the works of J.R. Tolkien, uh, where, you know, Gandalf and Hobbit Frodo, you know, you see it in Star Wars, the Star Wars saga, saga with characters like Obi-Wan Kenobi and Luke Skywalker. Uh, History, likewise, has many well-known examples of mentoring. Socrates and Plato, Plato and Aristotle. Um, you know, do you ever wonder who the guy who mentored Gandhi? Well, he was Gopal Krishna Gokal. And 
Even the writers Emerson and Thoreau had a, a mentoring relationship going on. So in the biblical narrative, we can also see this with Moses and Joshua, Jonathan and David, uh, Paul and Timothy. And so, you know, we see it, it's, it's been around literally forever, and it's been the way that things have been done. Now, it's starting to become really a big deal. There's a lot of interest in the Western world today in both academia and industry. You know, academic mentoring usually refers to someone walking alongside another person in a particular course of study, and mostly as an advisor, as they're walking through their curricular process, their courses, and their, their, the process of their learning. You know, mentoring in the corporate environment tends to move towards skill acquisition in a particularly given job role. Now, what Jesus did with his disciples kind of transcends these modern definitions because the apprenticeship model is a powerful learning tool. And um, there's this guy, Gabriel Moran, and, and he argues for a broader definition of the term uh, as well. So he says this, apprenticeship is a common term in educational history. Its, its standard use was for a kind of teaching provided by a master workman to a young person learning the trade. It fits well with the root meaning of to show someone how to live. Occasionally, writers use the term not only for learning a job, but also for all kinds of learning that involves an expert showing by example how to do something. The meaning is helpful one to have, but while apprenticeship for a job needs kind of to be reappropriated, that's what needs a wider context. So that's what the meaning is for a wider context. So it's showing someone how to live life. Gordon MacDonald addressed it this way. He said, mentoring was the chief learning method in the society of artisans, where an apprentice spent years at the side of the craftsman, learning not only the mechanics of a function, but the way of life which surrounded it. Now that's huge. It's not just what they do, but it's the life that surrounds it. So if you're a blacksmith, what's it look like to live life as a blacksmith? If you're if you're an electrician, what's it look to live uh, look like to live life as an electrician? So it's 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 more than just the job; it's the whole life. And with Jesus' disciples, it's like how do you incarnate what you believe and what you're teaching as a rabbi? This is what it looks like, guys. Now Terry Wise, uh, he's he's uh, a professor that I had way back in the day. He expressed it this way. Mentoring is as old as civilization itself. The values, teaching, and experiences of one generation were passed on to the next generation by way of mentoring. At one time, it was the primary method of relaying knowledge and skills in almost every field. Now, however, mentoring as a primary educational form pretty much has all but disappeared from the uh, the Western academic environment for probably three generations. From, from 1890 through 1980, so 90 years, there were only four doctrinal abstracts registered on the subject of mentoring in the United States. So no one was thinking about it. No one was talking about it. No one was working on it. So there was a transition during the late 19th and 20th centuries that moved people towards an expert system based in knowledge acquisition 
as certified in the form of basically a degree. You went to college, you got your degree, you were considered to be capable. However, we know that's not true. We know that you can pass all the coursework and have no skills to pull off what it is that, that you are trying to do. So mentoring by a master in the field of a study or craft was no longer a primary educational tool. Competencies, which were, you know, they're really key if you're trying to do something, and they were once validated in the mentoring-apprentice relationship, it was, it was kind of supplanted by the academic cr credentials that institutions would grant. And it was based on testing students on whether or not they, they gained a certain body of knowledge, which is important. But this approach really falls short of what the Bet Midrash of Jesus and his disciples. So when we think about what mentoring is, we kind of talked about where it comes from and where, where you know, what it looks like. But I think the best contemporary definition for mentoring comes from Paul Stanley and J. Robert Clinton. Um, and they defined it this way. Mentoring is the relational experience in which one person empowers another by sharing God-given resources. So this definition is, is really very often cited in the context of the Christian world. And what it points out is the relational element is key. And it's promoting that master-learner interdependence rather than a kind of a disintegrated independence. And so what's key here is to understand that the relational foundation of Jesus's model is all throughout the biblical text. And as we see him with his cohort of disciples living the way together while on the way together in their missional journey. You know, the empowerment is evident from the rabbinic process that Jesus is doing. And uh, this, this mentoring process with his apprentices uh, really uh, was engaged relationally. So, in other words, they had to have relationship with the person. And, you know, it's holistic. The focus was on developing the whole person. And it was integrated. In other words, that the learning was based in life and within the relationships that they were having. And it was an adult learner process. So, in other words, it was, it was built on discovery. It was built on discovery. So, it was relational. It was holistic, it was integrated into life, and it was an adult learner process. Now, this is a real important thing. This is the, the meta skill of mentoring. And we are gonna break down in the future, uh, you know, some more of the micro competencies. But just a few more things about mentoring in general uh, for this session. You know, there's all kinds of mentoring that goes on. And Jesus used an intentional process. Now, now there's a casual process where people just in relationship are sharing those God-given resources with one another. Uh, and, it's, and that's really good. Uh, there is, in that, there's, a, there's peer mentoring where people who are kind of uh, at, the, at the same place in their journey with Jesus are sharing what they learn with each other and they're mentoring one another. And this is essential. We see this uh, in Barnabas and Paul. So there's casual mentoring, uh, then there's peer mentoring, 
peer mentoring can be casual, but it can also be intentional. Uh, and then the intentional mentoring that Jesus uses is, is kind of really where I focus. Now, and it's probably because of my own experience. Um, when I was a young person, I was a teenager, a guy named Glenn Moon was my Sunday school teacher every week and my youth group leader every week for the four years of high school. So Glenn Moon had me uh, twice a week for four years. And as part of a youth group, it was about 60 kids. And, you know, the Sunday school was a little less than that. But Glenn had us. And, and we were also out doing things with him. We were serving with him. Uh, he took us on all kinds of adventures. And so, you know, Glenn really poured into me. And he was amazing. He was super gentle. He was not an aggressive soul at all, but he was steadfast. He was stable. He was just the kind of uh, guy that this uh, very confused teen uh, named Tom Johnston needed in his life. Now, at the same time, there was another guy named Dave Sheber. Dave was my pastor, and he was a young guy. And he, uh, again, during my, my junior high, senior high years, he was the pastor of the church I was in. And he was amazing because uh, he, it was the Jesus movement. And even though, you know, he's classically trained, had an MDiv, he was willing to color outside the lines, even in this wonderful believing Presbyterian church I was part of and raised in. Uh, he, he, really, uh, he really would color outside the lines and kind of stretch people a little bit. But because um, so much was going on, you know, the, the elders loved him, the session loved him, everybody loved him. So it was awesome uh, to have him in my life. In fact, at 14, uh, so I would have been, let's see, I would have been a freshman in high school. He came up and said to me once after um, one of the youth group sessions, and we just come out of a Bible study. He goes, Tom, have you ever thought about being a minister? And right then it struck me like a bolt of lightning. So Dave Schieber um, was a guy uh, that God used as a mentor in my life, actually, to uh, uh, suggest my calling uh, and use Dave to speak that into my life. You know, fast forward a few years into my 20s, a guy named Leo Sove, who literally became my spiritual father, um, you know, Leo, uh, Leo just was there for my, my wife, Kathy and I, Leo and his wife, Molly. And for decades, literally they've sewed they sewed into our life. Leo's gone to be with the Lord now. Molly's still with us. In fact, I put Leo on my church staff on a couple of the different church plants we were in. And, uh, uh, you know, I thought, what the heck, you know, let's put my mentor on staff, my father on staff so I can continue to glean. And uh, so that was just amazing. And I survived uh, my initial church planting and pastoring experiences with uh, all accompanying problems, uh, basically, basically because of God putting Leo in my life. And, uh, you know, I've, I've written about this in, in, in some of our books that Mike Perkins and I have written. Uh, I think I, I detail some episodes in uh, our book, In Between, uh, where Leo really saved my bacon. Now, there was a guy, again, a little later, now in my late 30s, a guy named uh, Bob Logan uh, became a really big deal in my life, uh, first as a coach and then as a mentor. He's the guy that kind of facilitated my training, you know, in, in leader development, uh, church health, and uh, church multiplication systems. And Bob has been a huge deal. 
uh, for Mike Perkinson and I. He helped us start Praxis. He suggested it. Uh, he helped get our first book published. So uh, Bob was was huge in our lives. And then, you know, spool that forward a little bit further. Bishop Gordon Scruton, uh, Episcopal bishop, now retired, was my spiritual director for years, taught me some of the ancient ways, and uh, has continued to be an influence in my life. I'm glad he's still around. Every once in a while, I ping him when I have some questions. He's still that resource for me. And then uh, most recently, it's been Dr. Ken Nonikin, who just a few days ago went to be with Jesus. Uh, great loss to the kingdom, uh, his gain, of course, being with the Lord. But Ken uh, mentored me in my master's program and in my PhD uh, and was so seminal in my understanding of under, uh, my understanding of education, uh, adult learning, and really the Jesus way. So, you know, those, those people are those who have gone before me and poured into me. And I just cannot thank Jesus enough for these men having been in my life. And there's many more. Um, you know, there, there's, so those are intentional mentors, and it's been a big deal for me. Now, there's, there's distance mentors that we can have. In other words, people we don't really know but they kind of impact our life. John Wimber of the Vineyard Movement is probably the biggest distance mentor in my life um, that I've had. And he's formed a lot of my theology, my understanding of, of uh, scripture, the kingdom of God, um, how the power of God moves today in the midst of uh, his church and in, for the purposes of his mission. So John was a really, really huge influence. Um, you know, there's literary mentors, uh, there's people like uh, George Eldon Ladd for me, uh, Scott McKnight, um, Gordon uh, Fee, all these people who've written a lot uh, have uh, Brad Young. Uh, these are all authors who are very big to me, continue to be big, and uh, have been extremely formative in my thinking and my ministry practice in my life. You know, and then there's historic mentors. There's people that we, we learn from from history. Uh, and, you know, some of those people for me are Churchill. Um, George Patton is another one. He's been a very big uh, kind of mentor for me and uh, kind of a military history guy. Uh, and so Patton and other leaders like that from history have been a big deal. Uh, and so these, these people, uh, you know, whether it's a casual relationship, a peer mentoring relationship, an intentional mentoring relationship, uh, distance mentoring, uh, literary through somebody's writings or historic through someone's life who's, who's passed on. Uh, these things are all huge. Now, again, Jesus used intentional mentoring in the apprentices process uh, that he did with forming his wisdom school of Beit HaMidrash. And so I'm gonna focus in the next number of sessions on the intentional mentoring that Jesus did and start to talk about how he did it and break down the micro competencies that make up the macro skill of mentoring. So God bless and have a great week.